0: together this morning. And I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not Wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Father, your word as we come before it this morning speaks to each one of our lives. It is no coincidence that any one of us is here this morning. You are pursuing us to have a relationship with us, a relationship that is real, that is personal, and that is based upon your love. You, the eternal God, you, the one who sits on your throne, you who are sovereign, have a word for our hearts this morning. And God, I pray, I pray as we come before you that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive what it is, God, that you have for us, especially on this important issue of what comes next. Lord, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, for your protection over this time. I pray that you would protect us by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that your anointing would be upon our hearts and our minds, that we would not just simply hear the word, but we would be doers also. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray this, and I pray this in his name alone. Amen. You may be seated. So what is next? We're, we're finishing out this series of messages, and, and what's next? What comes after we die? Do, do we know? Do the scriptures, uh, do the scripture, are they clear on this? What is it that we should expect after we die? When I was, uh, when I was pastoring in Montana, uh, the town that I pastored in was a town of, um, oh, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 people out in eastern Montana. It wasn't the mountains that you think of when you think of Montana. It was the Badlands. And when I was pastoring out there... Um, One of the guys in our church, he was, uh, well, when I was pastoring out there, there was an area where I had to take the kids to school every morning, and it was this road, and they had a ballpark there where they played baseball, and so for three months out of the year, they had a 15-mile, they would uh, cordon off the road, and they had 15-mile-an-hour parking, or um, signs, 15-mile-an-hour, I got a 25-mile, 25 25 kilometers, it was a 25-kilometer area, well, I came through there one morning because the kids were perpetually late for school. and would say, come on, we've got to get you guys to school. And so I'd get in the car, and I was going 56 kilometers in a 25. And it's a one-horse town, and there was a cop sitting there, and he caught me. And so he, he came to my car, and he's a young guy. And there, there was no lenience with him. I had to pay the ticket. And the whole time, people from the town are driving by. They're looking like, hey, that's Pastor Joe getting a, parking, or getting a speeding ticket. And so then I had the speeding ticket in my hand, and I knew I had to go back to the to the I had to go to the judge, and I had to pay the fine. So I walked into his office, and, he, and this judge happened to be one of the elders in my church. <laughs> and so I walked in. He goes, "Hey, pastor, good to see you. A Cup of coffee." And so we sat down. We talked about hunting. We talked about all kinds of things. And then he said, he looked at me. He said, "Was there another reason you came here today, pastor?" And I said, yeah. And I pulled out of my pocket the pink ticket, and he said, pastor. (laughs) And he said, well, he said, I just moved from being your friend to being the judge. And he said, as the judge, he said, I have to find you. And there's coming a day when God is going to move from being our Savior to being our judge. And we read in Scripture we read in Scripture, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, before the Bima seat of God, that each one of us may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay, so hang with me in this sermon. Because this is a tough one. Because that, does, does that last little phrase strike a little fear in anyone else's mind when we hear that we're going to have to give an account? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And Paul said in his word, Paul said that he, he longed, he said, or it, it says in Hebrews chapter five, 9, verse 27, that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes to the judgment. Once to die, and, and then comes to the judgment. Paul longed to be, Long to be absent from this body. For it says to be absent from the body is to be what? Is present with the Lord. Where does that leave room for reincarnation? It it doesn't. It doesn't. It is appointed unto man once to die and then comes to judgment. And remember we talked last week about the exclusivity of the gospel. There is one way. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. All roads do not lead to heaven. But there is one road. There is one way and only one way that leads to heaven. And so reincarnation, we know, isn't an option. Paul longed to be away. And it says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It says in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, the end part of it, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Why was Why, why must we stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Because God is a holy, holy God. And uh, Psalm chapter 96, verse 13. Thirteen says they will sing before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth in righteousness, and the, peop- and his, and the people in His truth. When God, there is coming a day when God will judge each person. Why? Because God is righteous. God's righteousness and His justice demand that there be judgment for what has gone on in our body as well, or what has gone on in our life as well. God is, uh, let me, I I got mixed up here. Because of God's righteousness and justice, he's the one who will come and he will judge mankind. Now, I hope you've noticed there as you've been reading those scriptures, who's the judge? God is. God's a judge. And we read in Matthew 7, we read in Matthew 7, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. That's a tough one, isn't it? Is that tough for anybody else not, not, not to judge? It is, isn't it? When we first came to, uh, to Hong Kong, we live out in the Science Park area. And there's a beautiful um, promenade where there's the bicycle trail. Boy, I took my life into my own hands riding on the bicycle trail yesterday. Because coming from the States... When you, you learn to ride a bike, when, when you're this when you're this tall, I mean, what they do is they put you on a bike and send you down a hill, and you either figure it out or you're going to fall a lot. And so kids learn to ride bikes real early. And yesterday I'm watching, you know, some people they're they're not they're going all over the place on the bike trail. I'm thinking I'm going to die here. I don't have a helmet on here or anything. And so we're riding along, but but one day Beck and I were walking along the promenade. I never saw this in my life: adult training wheels. I had I, never seen it. A, a person, a big person riding a bike with, with training wheels. And as it went by, it's like, did I see what I thought I just saw? Are those adult training wheels? And you know, it's easy for us to have a snap judgment, isn't it? The person comes on the MTR and you're, you're holding on, they're <coughs> their coughing right out of you. It's like, why didn't you stay home this morning? And it's e- this is a hard one, isn't it? Because we can so easily fall into this trap, can't we? Do we need Jesus to help us to not judge, to not look at people? So why, why shouldn't we judge? That's your, your second point here. Why shouldn't I judge? Because many times, the first one is because we don't know all the facts. Many times we look at per, a person and we have a judgment or we, we judge them. And isn't it true that sometimes the favorite indoor sport of churches is judgment? Sometimes we as Christians, we can be pretty tough on, on one another. And God calls us not to judge because, number one, we don't know all the facts. Sometimes there are things that are going on that, that we don't know. It. Number two is that we're not perfect. God says, why do you judge? Why do you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye and forget about the log that is in your own? We're not perfect. And sometimes we judge and sometimes we look at a person and we're looking and we're sizing them up. Where do I fit in, in conjunction with them? That's why I think sometimes as guys we ask, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I want to kind of know, where do I fit on the scheme of things with, with you? But he says we're not to judge because we're not perfect. Because as well, we don't know the facts. And because number three, we're not God. We're not God. This is a tough one. Because we can say, well, I, I'm, I'm not judging. But God's the one who knows our hearts. We will all appear. We will all stand before God to receive what is due from him in Re- Revelation chapter twenty verses eleven to uh, to thirteen it says there then I saw a great white throne <clears throat> then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them and I saw the dead and great standing." Great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. The first of the books that will be open is the book that, that concerns our deeds. What we what we've done in our lives. Matthew twelve thirty six says, But I tell you that all men will <clears throat> excuse me, that men will have to give an account. <clears throat> Sorry, I got something going with my throat today. <clears> throat> he says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. Boy, as if the first one wasn't tough enough. We're going to have to give an account for every careless word that we've ever spoken. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that, what is, that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a good one to put, put away in your heart. Did, did you catch what it says? When he says, do not let any unwholesome, that was a word that was talked about rotted fruit. It referred to rotted fruit. He said, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But what? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Farther down the road here, I'm going to preach a sermon series on Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? When you think about what it is that you're going to say about somebody, you put it through that filter Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Because sometimes we talk about things, and it isn't necessary that we add it in extra detail. It isn't kind the thing that we said or the way in which it was said. And maybe at times it isn't even true. He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That we guard our mouths, because we're going to have to give an account of every last word that, is, that we've spoken. We're going to have to give an account. And it's well, it says in in Psalm 19, verse 14, this is another good one to put away in your heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my, my rock and my Redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. That's been one that we've really tried to work on in our in our in Becca and I in our, our life me, the words of our mouth and the meditation, those things that you think about. Why? Because we're gonna have to give an account as we We're gonna have to give an account of those things. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. And I'm gonna come back to this in a second. Romans chapter 2, verse 16 it says, God will judge the secret thoughts of men through Christ Jesus. In Psalm 139 4, David says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. We don't pull, we don't pull things, we don't pull the wool over God's eyes. We don't, we, we don't fool God, do we? Psalm 139 says that God, before a word is ever on my tongue, you know it completely. The idea there is the thought and the intent behind it, even the thought and the intent. Before we say something, God knows what it is that we're going to say. Is there a reason that God says, should you not tremble in my presence? God knows everything that goes on in our lives. And two areas, two areas that we will be judged about will be our deeds and will be our words. What are we doing with them? And my deepest prayer is that as we as we go about our lives this week. This is why God says, don't just be hearers of the word. Do what it says. Don't simply hear the word, James says, and so deceive yourself. Do what it is that he says. Do we need Jesus for this one? We're going to be starting next week a new series and we're going to be looking at Jesus. Boy, do we need Jesus for this. Because I don't know about you, as your pastor, I I really need help in in both of these areas and not when I see something or somebody... To not make a snap judgment when somebody getting off the MTR pushes me aside and gives me one of these looks like and, like, and I say, oh excuse me, and I find out that there's a four letter or there's a yeah four letter word that translates both from English into Chinese, and I get told them, and I'm thinking, and immediately you begin thinking something about that person, and if you're not careful in your conversations with people, your conversation can go into the ditch really quick, can it? And you find yourself saying things that are not true, they're not necessary, and they're not kind. For this, we need Christ, don't we? God, would you help me as I look at people to see them through your eyes? God, would you help me as I speak to people that what I say, what I say is honoring to you? Okay, I want us to do one thing here now. Take a deep breath in. All right, let it out. Okay. Now we're going to move into another section. So what about, so judgment. <clears throat> what does it mean for an unbeliever? And what does it mean for a believer? I'm going to go to the believer first. For the believer, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I think for some of us, we think, <clears throat> well, I'm a Christian. Why is it that I'm going to be judged? And as a Christian, you will be judged. But as you stand before them, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Look at 1 John, what it says here in 1 John. <clears throat> it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear, because fear has to do with punishment. So for the believer, for the believer, fear has to do with punishment. And so what is judgment then for the believer? As a believer in Christ, you stand before the bima, before the judgment seat of Christ. Covered in what? You are covered in the righteousness of Christ. That's why when we're told to put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, that first piece is what? Is the belt of truth. It held everything up, everything up, every part of the armor attached to that belt. But the second piece of that armor is what? Is the breastplate of righteousness. Because where so often is it that the enemy attacks us? It's in the area of your relationship with Christ. And as you stand before the Father, you stand in the righteousness of Christ. In several weeks, I'm going to be talking about what really happened at the cross. And one of those things that happened at the cross was that Christ redeemed you, Christ paid the price for your sins. But not only did he pay the price for you, he was the propitiation. That's a 50 cent word for meaning. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the one who took away the wrath of God. So that when you are, as a believer, when you stand before God and give an account of all these things, it is not for judgment. God will not judge you and say, okay, you're going to go to hell for that. The reason for the judgment is is so that we can find out what rewards it is that we get. What rewards? Because as we live our lives... As we live our lives, the purpose of that, um, the purpose of judgment for the believers to receive their rewards. Paul says, By the grace given me, in First Corinthians 3, 10-15, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So let me, let me kind of flesh this out. Let me tell you two stories. I'm just using names here. Eddie and Doris faithful, faithful attenders at the church that they went to. And every Sunday after church, people would say, hey, Eddie and Doris, why don't you come out to lunch with us? And they said, we really can't because they were on their way to do another ministry. Eddie and Doris are in their 60s, almost pushing 70. And where where was their ministry? It was at a nursing home, a rest home where where people were there. And what Eddie and Doris did was they would go in and Eddie would preach a short message at, at this church and tell people about Jesus. But as he would walk in, there'd be a lady here sitting in a wheelchair and totally out of it. But he would go over and he would get down on his knee and say, Oh, it's so good to see you here this morning and his wife would play the piano and they would sing songs and a few of them would sing along with him. But and, and one day Eddie looked at Doris and he said, What good is this doing? What what, what good is this doing? That that we're, we're, we're singing songs, we're doing devotionals to people who really, do they, do they understand anything of what it is that we're teaching them? And one day Eddie and Doris will stand before God and God will say, When you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. I saw what you did to those older people. I saw how you shared your faith with them. I saw how every week you went there and you shared your faith, even though some of them couldn't hear. Even though they couldn't hear, you were ministering to me, Eddie. You were ministering to me, Doris. And I saw that. Will there be a reward for that kind of service? There will. Now go on the other side. Rich, when he joined the church 20 years ago, he was a young Bible college grad working in a, working in a, in a business. And the teacher of a, of a, Bible, of a Sunday school class, a, a rather large Sunday school class, was, was leaving. And he looked at Rich and he said, I think you should teach this, Bible, this, this Sunday school class. And Rich, he thought he was a little bit taken aback because it was a larger class, there were about 30 or 40 people in that class. And as he began thinking about it, he thought, I'll, I'll do that, I'll trust the Lord. And in the first years that he was doing it, Boy, he did an amazing job, and people would come to him after the time and say, you have such insight into the scriptures. And little by little by little, those words began to puff Rich up until the point where now his class was 60 to 70 people on a Sunday morning. The church that he was from was from a large church. And as Rich would share the word, as he would prepare each week, he would be looking for those things that he could bring out that people would come back and say, Boy, where did you get that from? That you chose it. you really studied the Word. And as Rich went on, more and more it became not about teaching the Word, but about how is this going to lift me up. Because Rich didn't want to go to church anymore because after, after, the, after the Sunday school class, many would come up to him and they would ask him questions. And he began first by saying, well, it's okay, I can do that because these people are coming to me. I can miss church. But after a while he began to think, I don't need The church, this is my church. And that Sunday school class fed his ego more than feeding the people. Do you see where this is going? And sometimes the things that we do, the things that we do in church, why are we doing them? Why are you serving in the position that you are? Are you serving because Christ has called you to that position and are you serving just even so that He is lifted up? Or are you serving because it's something that lifts you up? There's coming a day when those things that we've done will be put to a test. They'll be put to a test. And you may be saying, you know, well, I don't care about reward. I, 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 don't, I don't care about reward. If I can be just a doorman at, at, the, at the gates of heaven, that's enough for me. And when we make statements like that, we fail to realize The fact that our Heavenly Father longs to bless us. He longs to bless us. So the question comes back to us believers in Christ. If you name Christ as your personal Savior, what is it that you are doing with what it is that God has entrusted to you? Are you serving in a church? Are you serving so that He is raised up? As you serve your, your, your employer in whatever it is that you do, are you doing it in a way that brings glory and honor to God? Because there's coming a day, believers, when everything that we've done will be tested. And out of that will come the reward that God gives us. Now, now I have to turn another corner. Because for the unbeliever, the unbeliever, when the books are opened, did you catch the one book? It was the book of life. And it says, anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, is what is cast into the lake of fire. I don't think God enjoys that at all. God's Word says that He doesn't. In His Word, He says He does not delight in the death of the wicked. It says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. I don't think that God enjoys that. But as those who've chosen to reject Christ stand before Him, their lives and their deeds will be shown before God. And what they will be judged on, is they'll be judged on what it is on, and the purpose of judgment for an unbeliever is to reveal their rejection of God. And so, what's the eternal home? For an unbeliever, it says in Second Thessalonians, I, I I wish I didn't have to say that. But this is, there is a hell. And there's a hell that awaits those who choose to reject Christ. Uh, this, this should cause us as believers to say, what am I doing about it? What, what am I doing with the truth? If this is truth, which it is, what am I doing about it? What am I doing with the people that God has put around me and the times in which God has opened the door for me to share faith? What am I doing with my resources? What am I doing with my time to make sure that it's few people Go to hell as possible, he they'll be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the Almighty and from the majesty of His power. For the believer, for the believer, it's much different. It'll be an eternity of, of no. no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache. No more sin. No more No more evil. But even more than that, even more than that, it'll be an eternity where we are with Christ. Where we'll be with Christ. I was listening to a guy this week talk about how he lived in, um, and forgive me, John, I don't see John here, but some of our people from South Africa, I don't know if it's Johannesburg or Cape, Cape Town, there's a place called Table Rock, and this guy had a church that was right by Table Rock, and every day he went to this place, and he said, when he first got there, it was like, wow, this is amazing. He says, I get to pastor in this area. He said, it was just beautiful. But he said, after about three months, it was like, oh my goodness, i got to get to church. i got this email, i got that. And he said, it lost the awe, and it lost the wonder. Heaven will never lose the awe. It will never lose the wonder. For eternity, we will be with Christ. For eternity, we will worship Him. If we're having trouble worshiping now... We better think about that because we're going to be spending an eternity worshiping Christ. And it's going to be all about Him, isn't it? And so the question I have for us as believers, that I have for each one of us here is, so what's next? As we wrap up this sermon series, so what's next for you? What, What comes next for you? Do you know? Have you made that choice to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Every single week we have offered that to you. Do you know where it is that you're going to spend eternity? Let me tell you two stories, and then I'm done. The first is, and these were both in the church I pastored in Montana. One is Laura. Laura came to me, and she said, Pastor, would you please come to our house, to my father's house, and talk to him about Christ? He's in the beginning stages of dementia, and he has lived a rough life, and I know he has never prayed to receive Christ. Would you come over to the house and would you talk to him? Would you share with him about Christ? And so I went over there to his house and I, I talked with him and I shared very clearly about what it, what it means to become a Christian. And when I asked him, would he like to become a Christian? He just looked at me and he laughed and you could tell he wasn't getting anything of what it was that I was saying. And I looked over at Laura with tears coming down her eyes because she knew that her father was past that place of where he could pray to receive Christ, because he didn't understand anymore. The other, per, the other contact that I had was a lady by the name of Lois. Now, if anybody... You've got to understand, eastern Montana was cowboy country. There, there were... In the whole state of Montana, there were 900,000 people. That, 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 that's it in the whole state. I mean, there may only be one or two people for every hundred miles in that area. Very, very sparsely populated. And so the people out there, they're tough. They're really tough. And Lois, she would come every Sunday morning and she had a a cane. Well, the cane was a cane that they used when they worked with cattle to move the cattle around. Well, that was a cane she used to walk with. And if you got close to her and you said something that she didn't really like, she'd whack you with the cane. And so... Part, Lois was part of our, our prayer meeting, and she faithfully came to that. And she was just, but she was just a tough lady. And she said, "Pastor, would you come to the hospital?" She said, "I'm going to have some routine surgery." And she said, "I'd just like you to pray with me before I, I go in." And I said, "Sure, I'll be over there." So I went over there, and I prayed with Lois. And when I finished up, she started to cry. And I said, "Lois, what are you crying about?" And she said, "I'm not going to make it." I said, "Lois, Lo, it was." Minor, minor surgery, just in, out, one night in the the hospital and then come home. And she said, I'm not going to come out of this. And I said, don't think like that. I said, you're going to come out of this. This is routine surgery. We're going to see you tomorrow morning. The next morning I got up and it was just a, a short walk over to the hospital. I walked in, walked up to her room, and everybody was outside of the room. And I said, what's going on? And they said, mom took a turn for the worst last night. And they said, she's on a ventilator right now. And they said, she would be so angry with us because she had a, a do not resuscitate order. But his, her daughter was a nurse, so she, over, she, she just over, went over the top on that one, and her mom was on a ventilator. And I, I thought about that. It's like, my goodness sake, she was, she was right. She knew that she wasn't going to make it out of this. And as I went into the room... The family was all there, and they said, Pastor, we don't know. And I I talked to them. I said, this is what she said. She said she wasn't going to make it through this. And as I stood there with the family, the daughter said, we're going to do one more procedure. If it doesn't work, then we're going to pull the plug. They did the one more procedure. The gal said, my mom would be so angry with me for doing this, but she said, I just want to try one more thing. They tried the one more procedure. It didn't work. And I remember seeing Lynn Ann walk up to the, walk up to the plug, and pull the plug out, and pretty soon it's just a, a flat line. But there's a difference between Laura's dad and Lois. Lois had all her bags packed. She was what we call a snowbird in, in the states. They live up in the north in the winter, where it's winter, or in summer, excuse me, where it's nice and warm. And in the the winter, they make their way down to the southern part of the United States where it's nice and warm. She was a snowbird. She was getting ready to go down to Arizona where she lived in the the winter. She had all of her bags packed. She was ready to go. But she was ready to go in more than one way, wasn't she? She knew where it was that she was going to spend eternity. For her, what's next? She knew what was next. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I come back to us again this morning. There's a lot of people here this morning. A lot of you I don't know. Do you know where it is that you're going to spend eternity? Do you know what's next for you? Do you have that assurance that as you stand before God and he asks, why is it that I should let you into heaven? Do you have that assurance? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? I remember as a kid growing up, I said, one more story. I said, this was it, one more story. I remember as a kid growing up in a, in a church, um, my parents, my dad was an elder in the church, my grandpa was the head elder in the church, my folks were missionaries. Anytime the church doors were open, there was Joel in, in the church, and I thought if anybody should be a Christian, it should be me, because I always went to church. I was 17 years old sitting at a, by a lake up in northern Minnesota, and the preacher was talking about the fact that uh, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. 17 years of sitting in a church, and bang, all of a sudden it made sense. I was not a believer, and I remember saying that he said, "Does anyone here want to pray to receive Christ?" And I remember thinking, "I feel foolish for doing this," but I raised my hand and said, "I, I, I do." Because when we talked in our in our time with our tent, I talked just like a Christian, but I didn't realize till that night that I had never taken that step of praying to receive Christ as my Savior. And I remember when the man led me in a prayer to pray to receive Christ. It was. Tears just came down my eyes, and I, I literally felt as though a weight was lifted off of my body. And that night, July 7th, 1977, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And one day that book is going to be opened, and God is going to say, Joel Andrew Arndt, ja- July 7th, 1977, his name is written there. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life so that what's next? You know what's next. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for how long? For eternity. And the opposite is just as true. To be absent from Christ is to be absent from Him for eternity. To receive in our lives what it is that we have chosen. And you're saying, my God would never do that. My God would never send anybody to heaven. You've got a wrong view of God. That's your God. The God of Scripture is a God who gives mercy. A God of Scripture is one who's made the way possible so that we don't have to spend eternity apart from Him. So do you know where it is you'll spend eternity? As we wrap up this series, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ. So when we go to prayer, if you would like to pray to receive Christ, I want you to raise up your hand and I want to pray with you. And then we're going to follow you up as well, because just like a baby when it's born, we don't put the baby in the crib and say, grow. We come alongside of you and make sure that you grow in your relationship with Christ. For the rest of us, for the rest of us, we've heard things today about not judging about making sure that the things that we say, are, are they true, are they necessary, are they kind? For this we need Christ. And looking at why is it that I do the things that I do, are they so that Christ is lifted up, or are they so that I'm lifted up? Because one day all of those things will be tested before God. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And thank you again, Father, for the truth of His word And Lord, I don't like to talk about hell, but at the same time, it's, it's truth. And your word says that we're to preach the word in season and out of season. And we're to speak the whole truth. And Father, you came and you gave your son, Jesus Christ, so that we wouldn't have to spend an eternity apart from you. But Lord, the truth is that if we choose to reject that truth, we choose to receive in our lives for eternity what it is that we wanted, And God, what is it that we're doing about it? I I pray that God, as we've heard your word this morning, those whom you put in our lives, those, God, who don't know Christ, that Lord, that you would so burden our hearts to share our faith with them. I thank you, Lord, that you've made the way possible for us to spend an eternity with you. And I thank you that, Lord Jesus, when we receive you as Savior, you don't just come in to be fire insurance. You come in to be our our Lord and our Savior. And God, we need you. It's so easy to make snap judgments on people. It's so easy to allow our conversation to go into the ditch. It's so easy to have a lifestyle where things build me up and not you. And so, God, would you be the one that makes us holy? Would you be the one that is our strength and our shield? And God, I pray the blessing of your hand over each one. I think too this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, Father, you're the one that draws hearts, not me. It's your word that speaks into our hearts. If you came here this morning and you say, Pastor, I don't know Christ, but I would like to, would you do that simple thing of just raising your hand? I want to have a word of prayer. If you just raise it up and put it down, Father, again, thank you. Thank you for that you never stop asking and you never stop inviting. Lord, would you take us now out into this week? I pray the blessing of your hand over each one, the protection of your hand over each one. Would you be with our families? For some of us, our families are a long, long ways away. Protect them and watch over them. Keep their hearts close to you, Father. And we pray this in the precious and blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ Go in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go in the knowledge that your sins have been paid for at the cross. But go taking the message of truth and faith to those who desperately need it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.